Uh, morning, everyone. My name's Carl. I'm one of the leaders here uh, as well. Uh, I'll do that again. Morning, everybody. Morning. Oh, that's better. Get the panto vibes going. So, um, so I'm another one of the leaders here, and uh, every week we do spend a bit of time worshipping, and then we spend a little bit of time uh, looking at what the Bible has to say to us. Um, there are many books out there. There are many self-help books and all kinds of things, and Sometimes I get boshed emails about what do you think about this book and what do you think about that book, the latest theory of how to be a better you and how to get rid of stresses and worries. Well, as a church, we believe this book has got it all. And we teach it every week and we look at it and we try and understand it. There's stuff in here that's absolutely amazing. I remember talking to a senior executive in Ford from America, you know, Ford's a motor company. Every time I talk about someone from a different country, I want to do an accent. It's so tempting. Anyway, yeah, let's just do it anyway. But it'll come out, it'll come out Welsh or something. Anyway, um, he said to me, he goes, like, I'm not a Christian, Carl. But every, every American says my name like that, Carl, like slightly condescending. He said, but man, that book of Nehemiah in the Bible's got some management stuff. He said it just like that. It was just so accurate. And it's true, the Bible's so full of amazing things. And uh, there will be people here this morning for which uh, church is a new experience. You're very welcome. Uh, you may have been expecting something different. Uh, so many churches express themselves differently. But we, we all love the Bible, uh, all Christian evangelical churches. We love the Bible. We teach it. We think it's got such a lot to say to us. Uh, honestly, for me, uh, 22nd of April, 1990, uh, encountered Jesus Christ for the first time. Didn't come from a Christian background. Didn't, didn't really give us stuff, to be honest with you. Um, and some of you will know the story that I only went to church because I fancied a girl who is here today, who became my wife. And we have two daughters, a dog and a cat, and a diminishing population of koi carp. And uh, it's been a wonderful journey uh, ever since. Uh, and so for me, as now a committed Christian, uh, married, family guy, when we come to the rites of passage of life, I always feel a little bit nostalgic. I always found my life as a pastor. I spent 10 years leading a church actually full time. And I sort of felt my job was to kind of shepherd people in when they were born and then shepherd people home when God called them home at the end of their days. And actually, that's a lot of what you do. Only you try and look after all the stuff in the middle as well, all the middle bits as well. And it's always quite nostalgic for me, actually, when we have uh, dedications and we see babies being born into the fellowship. You'll know, uh, I think it's about 75, 80 kids here now, and uh, we're due to increase our population uh, by about another 10 babies. Uh, by March. Um, it's the fastest. I've just come to the conclusion, this is chapter six on my new book, How to Grow Your Church in Under, uh, under a Year. Uh, it's basically through procreation. It's the fastest way you can grow a church these days in the United Kingdom. Uh, but it is incredibly nostalgic. And uh, I, you know, I have now got uh, two daughters, one who will leave teenage years, ladies and gentlemen, at the end of this year. Uh, we, we, Karen and I, have survived. We round one, and uh, we we will pop Emily over into the 20s at the end of this year. I think that's like, you know, me and Karen, we're going to get a bottle of Prosecco on that moment. I think we survived round one, and we did it. And, and you know, uh, I think they're moderately balanced individuals. I mean, we're getting there. I mean, it's cool. And then Annie has got another couple of years to go. But I've, I've been feeling a bit nostalgic because it's a dedication thing, so I've got a little photo I didn't tell you about. Look at, look at that. Look at that. They love their dad. 
Look at that. Like back in the day, look, you can see the affection and look at the little teddy and, oh. They've been jumping on me. Look, that's me before a beard. That's, that's 2003 days. And it, it goes like that. It goes like that. I mean, I am, you know, I, I'm a bit, I don't know, a bit weird on the emotional scale. I don't get very emotional about things very often. But then sometimes the emotions hit me. You know, like Black Hawk Down, Star Wars, you know, that kind of, you know, we were, we were soldiers once, that, that sort of thing. And then also, um, pictures of my kids. And, and I try not to be an annoying, you know, there's a verse in the Bible, one of my most annoying verses actually, says don't exasperate your kids. But that's like, for me, it's sport. I like, I quite, you know, but I don't do it because the Bible says don't exasperate your children. But, you know, there's this, like, the cheeky side of me is like, it's quite a bit fun, isn't it? But uh, occasionally, in fact, about a week ago, I'll pop them a photo of us years ago. Now, to them, it probably feels like a lifetime ago. Can we kill the picture? No, it's doing me head in. So it's like, <laughs> but, but actually, like, I send them photos. And honestly, when I'm sending them, I, I do get a little strange sensation in my throat. It's a weird one, like a little lump in my throat and a little bit of moisture in my eye. Like it sounded like a mosquito's just flown in it. It's a strange sensation. Because actually, I love my kids. And I'll do anything for them. Well, I don't tell them that. What I've said to them is, I've said, look, all through life, as long as I'm on the earth, and Karen and I are on the earth, there will always be a bed. There will always be a meal. There's never any money. I work for charity. But you can have a bed. <laughs> you can have a meal. Because is there anything for my kids? Even through the teenage years, the toddler years, I mean, it's amazing the different phases. I, I mean, it's a weird thing, isn't it? You watch your kids get born. When I was there, new man. New man. So even cut the cord. That is one mighty pair of shears they give you, let me tell you as well. That is like epic, that is an epic pair of shears. Uh, I even tried to gas an air once, uh, which is quite good. And uh, it didn't really touch the sides, to be honest with you, but I did have a go. Uh, and I watched them both born. And then, and then you carry them out in the car seat and you get escorted back. I don't know if they just do this in Essex, but I got escorted out with them in a car seat. And they make sure you strap the car seat in properly. Do they do that in Derbyshire? They make sure you, mixed opinions here, obviously it depends on the hospital, and you strap them in, they make sure you've done it properly. And I thought, well, that's good. You know, they're like, you know, in the first days, everything's all right, and they're sorting out your feeding patterns and stuff and all that kind of thing. And, and then they sort of walk away. And then you drive home. And then you get the baby in the car seat and you lift it into your hallway. And I remember Karen said, with our firstborn, Emily, Karen said, I'm going upstairs for a shower. I said, cool. And so Emily's in the car seat, secure. I mean, this is a good first start. On, uh, on the lounge floor, and I sat on the floor looking at Emily in a car seat. And I was waved with feelings of, wow, look at the little fingers and the little toes. And look, it's amazing. And then I was hit with, and what the heck do we do now? 
Like, like, what what do we even do? And like, Karen's having a shower, and then Emily went like, <laughs> like they do. It's quite cool, though, for spending an American impression, isn't it? And I'm like, Karen, it made a noise. <laughs> like, you've got to come down. And it's such a weird thing. And then before you know it, they're crawling around. And then before you know it, they're walking. And then they learn something. They learn to talk. Well, at first they learn to make a noise. And then they learn to speak. And what you realize is that a lot of the early things that babies do are not for your benefit. Have you ever noticed that? The noises and the crying and the speaking is not for your benefit. And as soon, it's all about them. They're so selfish, babies. And then as soon as they learn the ability to be a bit more cognitive and aware, they do things like answer back or disobey. So I look at that lovely picture there, but also I've got memories of them in a high chair. I don't know if this happened to anyone else, but they'd sort of have their food when they started to go on solids. And, and they, they started to grab it, grab it themselves, like chew on bits of crust and stuff like that, you know. And then they'd look at you and go, eh, and push it off. It's weird, isn't it? That is an old-fashioned word for those of you who don't do this, called sin. They learn it really early on. It's there from the beginning, actually. It's like, eh, and you go, don't do that, eh, don't do that, eh. And then you shove it in their mouths and go, yeah. And you learn, like, you think, oh. And then... Before you know it, they're teenagers. And that, is, that takes things to a whole new level. For those of you with the little kids, and they go, oh, life's so tiring and emotional with my small children. There'll be those of us who've got teenagers who are going, <laughs> So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you, just for fun, because loads of you visitors here today, I just want to show you a little video. This is Harry Enfield's version of how someone becomes a teenager. So this one is just, just good fun. Have a look at this. Yes, a familiar story there, Kevin a teenager. But the weird thing is, you know, you get through. You get through as a parent. But for me, you blink and you miss it. But there are times when you want it all to go away, but if you blink, you miss it. Because life is just so incredibly fast. It just goes like that. And, you know, I've... You know, I've, I've, in the past, pastored churches full-time. And you, you see these stages. And my, my advice is you try and, looking back, enjoy every one. And, and rejoice in every different stage you've got. Here's things that I realized as a new dad. But one, what did I do with all that time I had? Like... What did I do with all that time? You know, people for their kids say, I'm so busy, I've got so much on. And then you have kids who are like, why didn't I go skiing every week and travel the world? Now, I had so much capacity back then. You realise that your baby's not crying for your own benefit. You realise what being tired really is. Don't you? you suddenly realise you've got way more capacity than you thought you had. And also, I used to, before I had kids, I had kids at 26, look at... Other parents thinking, well, I wouldn't do it like that. You do, you actually do. You do. You think, I, I know, I wouldn't let them do that when they're doing the table. You know, because you, you get really high and mighty about it, and then suddenly you're in the thick of it yourself. 
and you didn't realise it was that hard. You also realise you need an extra hour to pack for every trip that you go on. Uh, you need huge amounts of supplies. Uh, you also realise how easy it is to totally lose the plot through fatigue. And you also realise, if you're a man, that your wife is incredible and also super sharp. Karen, for example, invented a game called Hospitals, where she would be able to lie on the sofa, half asleep with her arm draped over the side whilst it was repeatedly bandaged and unbandaged by her two children. That is sharp thinking, uh, incredibly sharp thinking. I was literally in awe. There'd be me making towers out of cotton reels that were repeatedly knocked over and I'd have to start again and Karen going, repair my broken arm, and which would go on for some time. Uh, you also develop insights. These are just little tips uh, as it's a dedication. Uh, Hoovers and the hairdryers do send babies to sleep. Uh, back in the day, I think my mum used to put brandy in the milk, um, which explains a lot. Uh, but we actually discovered if you put a hairdryer on or a hoover in the room, the kids fall asleep. Thank me for it later. Try it tonight. It's going to change your life. Uh, that's the first one. Secondly, um, there was a, a guy, I think his name was Mark Parfor or something, uh, who is an absolute genius, who is loved by parents all over the world because he invented cowpole. You also uh, discover that's a miracle drug. Uh, you also discover, as was demonstrated today up the front, if you notice the addition on the shirt, you have milk vomit stains on your clothes all the time, and you also realise that you're not perfect. And that all your ideas about things will sometimes go out the window. And I know, I know, that one day, Emily and Annie will look back on some aspects of our parenting and improve on it. I know that. And Emily is actually nodding with a look of steely determination <laughs> as I said that. But I've always said this to my kids. Um, I've always said, I'll love you no matter what. And I've always said, there'll always be a bed and food. But I'd like to think, I've also tried to communicate this. I've always tried to communicate to them Actually, my life is not defined by who I am or what I do. It's that I have a Father in heaven who loves me. And I have a, a Saviour called Jesus Christ who died on the cross for me, which may now suddenly sound a bit heavy. But I've always said to them, actually, I may make mistakes. Karen will make mistakes. But you have a Father in heaven who is perfect, who made you, and loves you, and knows every hair on your head. Even for those gentlemen who lost your hair, he knew it once. <laughs> he knows every word on your tongue before you speak it. He knows every day before it happens. He knows all your thoughts. He has numbered your years, and he loves you beyond your comprehension. He loves you so very much. So much so, the Bible says, that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And that only he, and Emily and Annie would have heard me say this many times, only he can make you the person that you know you ought to be. There's this amazing psalm, which in a period of my life that was incredibly challenging, I got to know pretty much off by heart, and it echoes some of the words that I've just said. I'd love to read it to you. 
Um, the Psalms are like hymns and poems written by amazing leaders in the past who had incredible intimacy with God. Uh, this one's written by a man called David, who was a king, an amazing king. He's the guy who took out the giant Goliath, for those of you that are searching back. Let me read this to you. This was David's understanding of God. We believe that these words were given to him by God, actually. He says this, You search me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you. Lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Knows everything about you. Everything. I don't know whether you know God this morning or not, but my Bible tells me, my own experience of life tells me, he knows everything about you. All the good bits, all the bad bits. Nothing is hidden from his sight and he still loves you. I meet people who say, well, God might have put me on the shelf. If he knew everything that was in my life, you wouldn't even want me in the church. It's not true. It's a lie. He loves you. He knows everything about you and he loves you. Because he made you. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness won't be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. In other words, there's nowhere we can go. There's nothing we can do that can take us out of the light of Christ, the light of God. I remember once, actually, the day I first gave my life to Christ, the next day, uh, I ran into a little bit of trouble. My mates uh, really ripped me, actually. Growing up in Hornchurch, that's the way it was. Said, you know, I've become a Christian. They're like, you've become Cliff Richard, and it escalated from there. And uh, my girlfriend at the time dumped me, and it was all very uh, unpleasant. And uh, uh, I sat on the edge of my bed. Uh, many of you know this story, but it's worth repeating. I went down to my dad the next morning and said, Dad, I know I've signed up for the British Army, but I'm not joining the Army anymore because I met Jesus last night, and I'm fighting battles with him instead. My flying squad detective dad just stood there frying bacon and went, still fancy girls, don't you, son? That's the main thing. And uh, completely came in, which is really, very deeply unpleasant. And uh, I went, sat on the edge of my bed, and I flicked open his Bible that I'd been given the day before, and it opened up onto Hebrews 13.5, and this verse leapt out on me, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's an overwhelming feeling, actually. There's a God in heaven who loves me, he's got my back. It was an incredible feeling. In my words at that time, Hornchurch words, it'd be like, it's all right, son, crack on. God's on your side. God's on your side. He's with you completely, 100%. Nothing to worry about. Never leave you or forsake you. Once you know God, once you invite Christ into your life, it is an amazing feeling to know he's got you 100%. Even through the ups and downs, the dips, the peaks, the lows, he's with you 100%. That is an incredible feeling, let me tell you. That is amazing. In fact, years later, while I was church planting on a tough estate, actually, back in Essex, and I was really under, under it, you know, really under pressure, getting up even earlier than I do now and stressed and really horrible time. And the phone went, and there was this Australian guy on the phone, he goes, hello, I'm going to do an accent. I said, I did it, I did it again. He goes, hello, is that, is that Carl Beach? <laughs> That's not bad, is it? That's Melbourne. It's very regionally sensitive, my accents. Uh, he says, uh, I said, who are you? And he goes, it's Stevie from Bible College. I went, oh, okay. And he went, um, I said, what are you doing up at this time of the morning? He's like, you know, half four or five o'clock. He went, well, it ain't half four or five o'clock here, is it, mate? It's Australia. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, and I said, what is it? And he said, he said, I believe God wants to speak to you this morning. 
So he's got a word for you. I said, what is it? He said, I believe God's saying to you, this is a bloke in Australia, who was at Bible college years before, he'll never leave you or forsake you. Does that mean anything to you? And I went, yeah. In a slightly high-pitched voice, he went, that's good, mate, it's an expensive call. Put the phone down. <laughs> wow. That don't just happen. That don't just happen. Things like that don't just happen. This is a guy phoning me from Australia when I'm stressed out. He didn't know I'm at my desk stressed out. Giving me the verse I got the day after I became a Christian, 22nd of April, 1990. It's happened on the 23rd of April, 1990, probably about 7 o'clock in the morning. And all those years later, this guy phones me. That is almighty God in heaven speaking to his son on earth because he loves him. And he loves you just the same. You might not feel it, you might not know it, but he's watching your life. And he loves you so very much. The Bible says in this psalm, you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of you this morning might not feel like you're fearfully and wonderfully made. I feel like that about 1% of the year. You know, some days you wake up and think, I today am going to take on the world. Most of the time I wake up and think, I think I will bodge my way through this day. But actually, the Bible, let's see what happens. So the Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you for that, it says you. Your works are wonderful. My frame was hidden for you when I was made in a secret place and I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them like that song we were singing, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. Did you know what? Dorothy, you got called home to be with the Lord. Uh, 90. Just like, what a heroine of the faith. I mean, she would sit here, and I'd be preaching, and smiling at me. Well, unless I was a bit cheeky, which is slightly scale. But mostly smiling at me, and, and, and we're just worshipping and loving Jesus. And just like, wow. Just journeyed all through her life, loving the Lord. And we'll often get her husband's Bible out and say, look, this bit was underlined. And just incredible sense of knowing the Lord. And it's sad when people die. Unless you're a Christian. And which it is sad that we may not see them now. But Dorothy is like new body with Jesus experiencing eternity. And you could have that in the blink of an eye. And one day I will die and I will kneel before the Lord as we all will. And Jesus will look me in the eye and he will say, hopefully, well done, good and faithful servant, come on in. And I'll look round and there will be Dorothy. Maybe smiling, maybe slightly scowling at my appearance. <laughs> but she will be there and she'll be radiant as she is now. And so will many of you be there. And it will happen in the blink of an eye. All of it. This will go in the blink of an eye. And so for now, we put our trust in God. 
we seek to follow Christ, we know that he has made a way for us. The Bible says this amazing thing, actually, that Jesus didn't just die, but he rose again and defeated death and pain and mess. And then, after 40 days of wandering around, teaching the kingdom to people, the bit that people often miss out is he then went to be with his father in heaven and sat at his right hand and he is, do you know this? Whether you know Jesus or not, he is praying for you right now. He's actually praying for you. He's interceding for you. Loves you so much. That's amazing. For all the ups, all the downs, we have a God who loves us. A saviour who died for us, rose again, sits at the right hand of Father, and he's going about his business now, praying for you. And one day, ladies and gentlemen, you all will die. And if you put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ, it will be a glorious moment. You can choose to be with him. Or the bad news is, you can choose to ignore him. And then you take your choices, you take your chances. But I put my faith in Christ because he's made a way. Now, I know that my life changed. Dorothy knew her life changed. We prayed that one day, little Grace, that her life will be changed because she'll meet Jesus. That's what today's about. We pray and we hope. And we pray and we create an atmosphere where that will happen. So I'll finish by saying this. We do have this Alpha launch night. And there are many great churches around Chesterfield. If I'm right, and if this church is right, that's got to be worth, that's got to be worth an hour of your time. That's got to be worth a homemade sausage roll and a song or two, and, and listening to a speaker like Mark Greenwood, who's hilarious. And the details on the Alpha launch night are on the table. Or you might just want to like come here every now and again and check out what we believe, or other churches in the town, which are fantastic. No one in the town has got flags as big as our church, but we're not the best church. Uh, there are many churches, but if what I'm saying is right, if there's even a 1% chance, that's got to be worth checking that out. But if you're here and you know Jesus, remember in the good times and the bad, he's got you. He knows it all and he's got you. And one day we will be in glory together.